Welcome to Nomad Yarners, the yarn truck podcast. We're Erica and Dave, a husband and wife mobile yarn shop owners, bringing you tales from the road, adventures in fiber arts with a little bit of the rest of life thrown in. This is episode 84, recorded the week of July 22nd, 2019. Today's segments include what you're working on, general craftiness, in the kitchen, and where's nomads. Sit back, get comfy, and enjoy the show. So Erica, what have you been working on this week? This week, I have been doing a lot of spinning, as it is still the Tour de Fleece, um, and I have been doing quite a bit of crochet, and those are kind of the main two two things. So, spinning-wise, I talked a lot last week about the three weird fiber breeds, uh, fiber sheep breeds that I hadn't spun before, and I completely finished that project. Um, got it all plied, um, got the whole thing done, and I felt really good about that. The Tour de Fleece, if you are unfamiliar, is um, a, a sort of an online competition, personal challenge thing that you're supposed to challenge yourself to spin every day that the Tour de France bicycle riders ride. Um, and I always set a personal challenge, and this year my personal challenge was to spin the three four-ounce braids um, I spun Finn sheep breed, a Texel sheep breed, and a Gotland sheep breed, and I applied them all together. I made about 500 yards of a bulky yarn um, that I loved that was all like purples and blues and pinks, um, and then I needed to decide what my next project would be because I still want to spin every day of the tour. I just happened to meet my goal like a third of the way through it, uh, so I chose a four ounce braid of fiber that I have had for I don't even know how long years and years I don't remember buying it it was that long ago um it was from a local uh farm where it's called Breezy Manor Farms it's based in Mooresville um Mooresville-ish area um in central Indiana um and she is a one-woman show she raises the sheep she hand shears she does the the washing she takes it to the mill to get it all carded um she does some um, some spinning and sells the yarn, but she also mainly sells the fiber uh, braids. And this was a kitchen sink blend of uh, mohair, BFL, Angora. Uh, there was some sparkle in there as well. And I uh, and it was all blues and greens, uh, which are my kind of colors. So I'm not surprised that I bought this yarn or this fiber. Um, but I am spinning my way through that. And I... I'm kind of aiming for zero stash um, is kind of what I'm what I'm working towards and what I've been working towards for a while now. Um, when I opened the yarn shop nine years ago, um, I I kind of stopped knitting or crocheting from my own stash because I was doing a lot of sample making with yarns that we stocked in the shop. And so I didn't have a chance to really work through any of the yarn that I had bought and acquired previous to that point. Um, and so I have a lot of things in my, in my yarn stash, um, and less so in my fiber stash, just because I hadn't been spinning for very long before I opened the shop. So I didn't really have time to acquire all that much, but I have a lot of things that I liked and was inspired by when I purchased them 10 years ago or more now. Um, and my tastes have changed. <laughs> the place that I am in my life has changed. And also we've moved twice since then. Once across a continent, you've lost the labels and right. some of them have been turned into one thing and then taken out. And it's, 
there's it's some of them just look a little bit sad even though they're really nice yarn yeah um and so what i've actually been doing i'm very i got very enthusiastic about weaving and still am um and so i what i'm kind of doing is turning some of the yarns into plies that I'm plying with some of my hand spun. Um, so I'll do one ply of my hand spun yarn and then one or two plies of a commercial yarn that I like the yarn. I like the fiber content of it. I like the colors of it. But I have in my stash, I have a lot of soft spun single lace weight, which is just not a yarn I'm going to use at this moment in my life. So soft spun means there's not a lot of twist in it. Um, and the singles means it's just one strand. It's not multiple strands plied together. Um, this makes it a very like delicate and drapey and very, very soft feel yarn that's not going to be particularly hard wearing and is very thin and so it's going to take a long time to see progress in. Let's just say we have very small children and uh, delicate things that take a long time and not something that's going to be on our life for a few years. Yes, um, so, but those work great to ply with, with um, hand spun yarn. Um, it gives them more stability, a little bit more sturdiness and makes them thicker. Uh, so using those as a component of a, a yarn that I am spinning is actually, in my opinion, a great use for them. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Uh, so I I actually kind of did a little test drive, pulled down several skeins of yarn from my personal stash that I thought would work well, were a similar enough fiber composition to what I am spinning in this kitchen sink braid and the colors I thought would work well. Um, and like Dave said, most of these, the labels have long since been lost. Um, so I'm not 100% sure what this yarn that I used to ply it with was. My guess is it was a wool silk or a wool like bamboo tinsel, something like that. There's definitely a lot of wool in there. And then there's something with some sheen um, in it as well. Um, and it is all shades of greens um, from like a hunter and an army green to a, like a lighter, almost like a chartreuse yellowy green. Um, and it's a, it's a short variegate. So there's like an inch of one color and then an inch of the next color kind of a thing. Um, but they all kind of play nicely together. And, um, and it worked well with what I am spinning is primarily blue with a little bit of green and like turquoise in there. And so I think the, the blue plied with the green, it's to me, it's giving it very mermaidy or like fish scaly look. Um, you've got a lot of barber pole action going on and what I am plying together um, with one ply is green and one ply is blue. But both of those have a lot of like shifting blues and greens in, in them. So I'm really liking how this yarn is coming out. So very Eric. Colorway. It is. Um, I did finish plying. So I was, I started spinning the singles and then I decided I wanted to ply it with a commercial yarn. And so then I stopped spinning the singles and did some test plying to decide what I liked it with because I had several options. I picked the one that I liked. I have plied all of it. It's a two ply, one ply with my hand spun and then one ply with this mystery yarn. Um, and it's probably a fingering weight yarn is what I'm, um, this was not a lace weight, but it was still a thin yarn. Um, 
and I have finished plying all of that together, I still have quite a bit of the fiber left to spin into singles, but I have run out of the commercial yarn. So I need to find another commercial yarn to ply this with, or I need to decide that I'm going to ply it with itself, um, and then just have two, uh, two yarns that coordinate uh, but are not identical, um, which I think could be cool for weaving. Um, I think I could do uh, kind of the warp as one and the weft as the other, um, and I think it will do interesting things. So I do have two other yarns that I think I could ply well that are in that blue-green family, the soft spun singles in a similar thickness, um, and that are probably a similar fiber content that I think uh, will work up well and will be fun to weave a project that is all of those, um, all of those things together. Uh, so that is my next step is to finish spinning the singles um, and then ply it together. And I may need both of the other two yarns because neither of them look like they're they're that large a skein. So I may need uh, I may need both of them, and I will get a lot of yarn. Um, I've spun two bobbins full already, and I suspect I have at least another full bobbin um, left to go. I think the fiber braid was more than a four ounce braid. Um, it was it was bigger than <laughs> than the standard, and it seems to have filled up more of a bobbin um, than a standard four ounce braid would do. Uh, so it's been a fun um, it has been a fun project, and will probably take me to the end of the tour. Uh, we'll see. I may have to I may have to do a third um, project to to get enough uh, to take me all the way to the end of the tour to fleece. So I enjoy this uh, this couple of weeks every year as it really inspires me to um, to do kind of a deep dive and focus on spinning a lot. The other thing that I've been doing is crocheting. I am nearly done with the project that will be our first ever crochet along, um, which will start in mid August. Um, and it is out of our, uh, one of Dave's hand dyed yarn, Orchard Lace, which is 100% silk, but it's the like nubbly silk, the raw silk, um, which means it holds its shape, I think, a little bit better. Um, the real smooth, slippery silk tends to warp, um, warp as you work with it. So it is well suited for different projects um, than the one that I am doing. The little bit of texture in this silk, um, I'm working it all as double crochets, but on a massively larger hook than you would normally use for a lace weight yarn. So I think I'm using a 4.5 millimeter crochet hook, um, whereas normally for this thickness of yarn, you'd use like a 1.5 millimeter crochet hook. Um, so it's a very, very open fabric. Um, and I'm just making a basic like T shape, um, the front and the back exactly the same. I'm using half the ball of yarn for each one. And then I will sew seams at the end. Um, and it will be a very, um, very open like to wear over a spaghetti strap or a tank um, or like a summer dress. Um, so stay tuned for this crochet along in August, Right? Yes. Yep. Um, Mid-August, the piece will be finished, so I will know exactly how long it can be. Um, and I will get it on a couple of different people. It's a cropped and a very like oversized piece. Um, and so I wanted to uh, track down several different body types to put it on so that you can really get a sense of how this shape is going to work um, on different people. Because I hate it when it you... Because she's really tiny. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not quite that. I mean, she's three and small for her age. 
I hate stuff that says one size fits all and then it shows it on like a size zero person and you think, but it, what if I am not? Or uh, if you show something that is one size fits all on just one body, you only know how it looks on that one body, whatever that body shape is. Um, so I will try to get a couple of different body shapes to put this on so you can see what the shape is going to do um, on taller, shorter, water, wider, narrower people. Um, and I really like this yarn. Um, I absolutely love dyeing this Noil Silk. It's one of my favorite fibers to dye because it it takes the color in a really unusual um, kind of way. It, it, the colors remain, it's almost like they're still bright and clean, but they they get kind of desaturated by the, the fiber. So it gives you a really interesting uh, look to the colors. Um, and they set really nice and, and easily and, and strongly because it's a, um, it's 100% silk still. So you get really, really fun colors with this. And I did that uh, kind of dip and speckle kind of splat look with it. So it's, I really like this. I'm really pleased with it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> uh, so that is what I have been doing this week. Dave, what have you been working on? Oh, goodness. It's been already. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit, and I'll talk in my segment about how successful we're being uh, with trying to cut out some of our um, our meat eating. So um, I've been trying out some new things in the kitchen, um, and I want to kind of give some some updates on that from last week. Um, I have been variously down in the dye studio planning and um, dying away. So I had uh, just a few skeins left for. Um, are immortalized in yarn backers for Kickstarter. Uh, a couple of people who didn't meet my original deadline because they, the photos got lost somewhere or they forgot um, for their uh, personal dyed scheme. So I uh, finished up a few of those, which are always fun. Um, I have uh, finished labeling all of the Cirrus. We've taken photos of those um, and named all the colorways. So if you watch out for our social media, um, those pictures will be coming out in the next few days. Um, you'll be able to see all the colorways and we'll be putting those on pre-order. So uh, there are 10 original colors from Cirrus that were on the Kickstarter. And then um, one new color that was kind of an accident, um, but uh, I'm very pleased with, so we're keeping that. Um, in the range. So that's coming out soon. Um, I'm also uh, setting up right now um, as we're kind of waiting for the, um, the pots and stuff to heat um, for dyeing some fiber. I will be teaching a, a alpaca fiber dyeing class at um, Montrose Farms Alpaca Ranch in Brownsburg on August 10th along with a, a pop-up with the truck. So come see us there um, and I'm going to be dyeing some example fiber from that, as well as dyeing some uh, fiber in various kind of greens and other kind of purpley colors um, for the retreat, where we're going to be doing a little felting class on how to make little felt kind of succulent sculptures. Um, and then finally, we have been doing some planning about our retreat uh, special edition colorway on that um, BFL and Donegal uh, sock blend. So we have a couple of ideas then. Um, I'm probably going to dye that uh, within the next two weeks. So we'll talk about that on the podcast and my process there too. And so. there is still time to sign up for the retreat. Um, it is about 10 weeks away. It's at the end of September um, and there's still spots left. Yeah, we've opened up a, a few additional spots um, because we filled up our original capacity and that includes uh, booking another building. Um, so we will have lots of space for you all. We love to see you there. If you're not sure, you can um, manage to get together the 
retreat um, full registration fee now. We've just added on our website, uh, you can do a $50 um, non-refundable deposit to secure your place. Um, and then you can, uh, you'll be invoiced for the rest uh, closer to the time. Um, so if you would love to come along to the retreat and want to secure a space, um, if you can't get your registration fee together right now, do come and do that. I suspect we will get a few more registrations before the end and the number of additional spaces is limited. We do have a max cap um, and we don't want to, um, don't want you to be disappointed. So um, register now if you can. Um, in my painting studio this week uh, for my miniatures painting um, job, I have been painting like a fiend um, to try and finish off two armies which are due um, at the end of this week. Um, so I'm actually slightly ahead of schedule by about a day on those. Um, so I'm hoping to actually finish those both of those jobs tonight um, and then they can be picked up a day or two early by their um, by their owners, which is good because I've got more stuff that needs to be finished for the following week. So um, watch me sweat <laughs> as I get uh, stuff finished. So I've been working a lot on that. Um, and then, yeah, what else have we done this week? We've taken the... Uh, we took a trip to the international grocery store, which is always fun. So we got some just with Dave and I. Yep. Uh, so that was that was child, interesting. <laughs> child free, which was uh, which is incredibly unusual. Uh, Dave has started taking driving lessons, um, and so I we were in that part of town while Dave was doing his uh, test driving with. Um, with the driving instructor, so he is going to get his driver's license, um, and someday you will see him out driving the truck as well as me. Um, and so that put us in the part of town with no children, um, where the international grocery store is. And so we got to go through and like go down every single aisle and really look at what the things were. It was um, a bit of an overload for Erica at the end. She was, it was. <laughs> I I ended up needing to like sit. Um, there's I get overwhelmed pretty easily, um, and so I and I hate shopping um grocery store shopping is about as close to shopping as i like to do um so but it was fun we were there for more than an hour yeah um, i would have stayed for another two hours yeah. I'm, I'm in my element any kind any kind of food markets or grocery stores or international grocery stores especially i want to look at absolutely every single thing and um yeah uh, kind of think of recipes or if i see something that i really don't know what it is can look it up on my phone to find out what it is so um yeah i was i was there i would have been there for another two hours <laughs> and we did get a cart full of things including several things that we had not tried before and so in the next few weeks we will definitely be working our way through some new cuisines i'm excited to make uh, spring rolls Yes. And kids have started watching a new TV show where it's called Super Wings. It's a really silly show. But the plot line of every episode is they go and make a special delivery to a different uh, country. And they talk about like a lot of times it's food that they're delivering or like it's for a special celebration or whatever. And they show like there's a map and the globe and all of that stuff. So Poppy, especially the three and a half year old, has been very into like what country is this? What continent is this? Um, which pairs particularly well with cooking new foods from new places. And so she's excited. Um, we already get a, a monthly snack box delivery as well with um, things from different countries. in. so. Um, she's been excited about uh, where is the well. where is the month from this uh, Indonesia this time okay um, so between watching a TV show about about it and getting snacks from there she is all about the uh, the international things at the moment.
Okay, so um, Erica, how have you been generally crafty this week? So I wanted to talk about color pooling in yarn. Um, and I have, so the Orchard Lace, the newest uh, yarn that we have out on the truck, is done in a dye technique that lends itself well to intentional color pooling. So basically what color pooling is, is any yarn that is not a solid color um, is going to have the potential to make pools of color. And that just means as you're knitting it or crocheting it, um, you are going to end up with the same color. So if there's part of the skein is purple and part of the skein is blue and part of the skein is white, you, depending on what stitch you're using and what stitch count you're using and all of those things, you may get a big pool, a big puddle, of the blue all in one place and the white all in one place and the pink all in one place. And that um, that is color pooling. Now, sometimes that happens accidentally and sometimes you can do it on purpose. Um, so if you have ever been making a, a scarf out of a variegated yarn that has those patches, so it's not a self-striping yarn is not going to do color pooling because you have a very, very, very long run of one color and then a very, very, very long run of another color. So that's going to make stripes. Um, variegated yarns where you have anywhere from two inches of a color to two feet of a color um, before you switch to another one, those are going to make color pools, patches. They have the potential to line up one row on top of the other and create a big blob of one color. And this very much depends on how big your piece is, um, whether something's going to be variegated or self-striped. Uh, a lot of things that have kind of thin stripes uh, for sock yarn, um, when they've been designed to have kind of very thin uh, stripes, can end up as more of a kind of variegate if you do like a white shawl piece because it all depends on your stitch count. Yeah. It's kind of a continuum. So the yarn that, so anytime you're, you're dealing with the potential, so I would say anywhere from two inches to two feet of a color um, before you change to another color, to me that's that gives you the possibility of, um, of color pooling happening. Uh, now, you've probably seen this or had it happen to you before. If you're doing especially a fairly narrow piece where your stitch count stays the same, so a scarf is a perfect example of that. You cast on 20 stitches and you knit every stitch of every row. Your stitch count is staying the same and it's not a huge long amount of a stitch count. What can happen when you're using a variegated yarn is you get interesting, sometimes ugly um, pools of color that happen. So sometimes you'll see like zigzags across your scarf. Sometimes you'll see that half of your scarf, like the right hand side of your scarf is all color A and the left hand side is all color B. Um, sometimes you'll get big blobs, like you'll have the center is always color A and the outsides are always color B. Um, or it will kind of repeat itself. The, the blob will be on the right hand side and then in the middle and then on the left hand side. And then that will just keep going back and forth, kind of zigzagging across your piece. Um, this is color pooling. It can be done intentionally and you can get some really cool effects. You can get some almost like plaid effects um, and, and really neat things going on. Um, sometimes that happens accidentally. Sometimes it uh, sometimes you you think about it or notice it happening and then kind of pay attention to that going on as well. Um, it can be problematic 
So if you're doing the front of a sweater and you get a giant blob of color um, on, on one front center chest piece and then a giant blob of color on the other front center color chest piece, um, you end up with giant blobs of color on both your boobs. And that's probably not what you want um, for most people. That is probably not the choice that they would make for a sweater. Um, and it can be hard to know that that is going to happen, especially for something like a sweater, because you're still stitch count is changing. So if your stitch count always stays the same, you're doing a scarf and you've got 20 stitches on your needle and that's, or your hook, crochet or knitting, you're gonna have the same effect go on with it. Um, your colors are going to act in a predictable way. They will repeat and do the same thing over and over again. Um, if you're changing your stitch count, so you're doing a sweater and you are suddenly doing some neck shaping or changing it for some sleeve shaping or doing some bust shaping with that, um, your stitch count is not the same. And so your colors are going to act unpredictably. Um, and that is when you get unplanned color pooling that may or may not act the way you want to. Um, sometimes you don't like the way it looks because you get blobs in unfortunate places. And sometimes you don't like the way it looks simply because it changes. Um, if you're doing a sweater, for instance, and across the, so you started at the bottom, you've made a tube for a long time for just the body, um, the sort of stomach section of the sweater, um, and the color is all doing one thing. It's swirling across, it's going in a diagonal line. You like the way it looks, um, but it's doing something very predictable because you have the same number of stitches on your needle or your crocheted hook the whole way around. And then all of a sudden you do some bust shaping or some sleeve shaping, um, starting at the, the bottom of the, the sleeve hole, um, all of a sudden right at the chest area, your color progression changes. Um, and it may not change to do something that you don't like, but because it's a, it's a sudden change from what has happened, um, you just don't like the fact that it is different. It looks like something weird happened. You're, you're, you had a diagonal kind of stripe running across for the whole stomach section of your sweater. Um, and then all of a sudden it dramatically changes to a more like a spotted generic all over color mixing and you lose that diagonal as you start doing some shaping at the bust or at the, the armhole. Um, and that happens a lot in sweaters in particular because of that exact thing. You're, you've got that line where you suddenly change your stitch count. Um, and this can be a problem with, uh, with south stripes as well, especially if you have a piece where um, the stitch count <coughs> kind of massively increases or decreases. Um, so a raglan sleeve sweater would be that with this, you get the same thing with the self-striping where you have like a pie shawl or something like that. Yeah. You have a lot of stitches on your needle with the body of the sweater and the arms of the sweater all on your needles or your hook at the same time. And then all of a sudden in one row, you take off half your stitches that will become the sleeves. Um, now all of a sudden your stripes are twice as wide as they were and it always happens right at that same point, right at that bust armhole where all that stuff is happening, um, which looks can look very unintentional, um, especially if you were not expecting it and you're not understanding why it's happening. Um, so when you're looking at a variegated yarn, so this now onto the useful part. So this is all the things that can happen. Sometimes it looks cool. Sometimes it looks <laughs> awful. Um, so this isn't just a complaining segment. <laughs> no. um, so 
kind of an explanation of what you can do about it or kind of how you can think through it. Um, anytime you've got a, a variegated yarn where you have X number of inches of the same color, um, you are basically, you're going to have a certain number of stitches in one color before you change to the next color. So color pooling typically happens the most when you have a variegated yarn where you have about the same length of one color before it changes to about the same length of another. I'm going to be talking about orchard lace um, and the specific color or the specific um, stitch that I am doing with it just as an example but this will be true um, no matter what um, what sort of color and and thing that you're using the numbers themselves will just change so the orchard lace color is a it's a skein of yarn that Dave dyed in a dip technique on one half of it so you have the big loop of yarn and one half of it it's going to be about two feet um, is in the particular color that I'm using is blue and it's kind of a solid blue um, and then the other half of the yarn um, he did a speckle dyed where uh, the yarn is an off-white color and then he put speckles of like a, a pinky purpley red um, on there and Deep so magenta is the color name. this is sort of there's there's speckles of white and speckles of the magenta color in there and that's about two feet as well and then you have the area where they kind of fade into each other so there's kind of a light light sky blue section for maybe six inches on on both edges of that uh, color transition and what this means is that the, the piece that I am making I'm doing an all double crochet and so that two feet of double crocheted um, stitches translates to about eight stitches so I have a bit about eight stitches of blue then one stitch of a, the kind of light sky blue, and then about eight stitches of the white magenta speckle, and then about one stitch of light blue, and then about eight stitches of the dark blue again. So knowing those numbers, the piece that I am making, I know how many stitches across I'm doing, and I know how many stitches I get of one color before it transitions into the other color, and so I could actually, like on an Excel spreadsheet, graph this out. What is my color pattern going to look like as I go? And you can do this too. Um, most people don't. <laughs> um, but you have the ability, if you really like spreadsheets, to, um, to map it out and see. Or you can just kind of think through it. Okay, so I have eight stitches of one, eight stitches of the other, and then two stitches of kind of transition on the way through. Um, and so I can look at that total color progression is eight plus eight plus two. Eight, 18. 18 stitches. Um, and I have um, the, the pattern that I did has the specific color pattern that I did, or the, I have 69 stitches across the piece on this. Well, 18 doesn't fit into 69 evenly. And so I know I'm not going to get just color stacked on top of color. I'm not going to have, if it was a perfect multiple, um, the blue would always sit on top of the blue from the row before and the white and red or white and magenta would always sit on top of the white and magenta from the row before. But I know that that's not what I'm going to get on this because the stitch count is not a perfect multiple of this. And I wouldn't want that. I specifically did not want the colors to all sit directly on top of each other. I wanted them to move around a little bit more and color progression this way can be a very hard thing to swatch 
because you can't make a, the, it relies on your swatch being the same width as your piece. And if you're going to make a swatch that is the same width as your piece, just start making your piece um, and kind of see what happens. Um, and pay attention for several rows as you're going to see how those colors are sitting on top of each other and if you're liking the way that it's looking. And if you're not liking it, that's when to think through, okay, if I add two stitches to this or take two stitches away from this, how will my colors shift and move around and act differently to each other? You can do some level of manipulation while you go, if you're, if you're thinking about it, um, where you actually, you think, okay, I want this blue stitch to, basically, I want to intentionally be a little bit looser or a little bit tighter in this section to move my colors around a little bit more. Um, and you can play with that a little bit, but obviously you don't want to intentionally mess up your gauge for very long. So after a couple of rows of just using the gauge that you have, you're not getting the colors to do what you want. You're going to want to change your stitch count um, to make, make a change happen there. And then with this piece, um, I was doing just what I talked about. You start at the widest part at the neckline of this piece, and I had 69 stitches on my needle. Once I'd finished the sleeve portion, I needed to get rid of some stitches to make that T-shape. Um, if all of a sudden you get rid of a bunch of stitches, your color progression is going to change on that. And unless... Unless you think through it and look at it and play with things a little bit and get rid of a number of stitches, that means the number of stitches that you have remaining is you're going to get a similar color progression. And so that's what I did. So did you get rid of 18 stitches total? So you got one, one full color repeat? Yes, that is exactly what I did. Um, so I got rid of nine stitches on each side um, and that kept my color progression very similar. Um, there's also, this didn't give me it's kind of a, a mishmash. This is not a super clear, like I'm not getting an exact plaid on this that I'm trying to match. Um, my color progression is just, I'm not getting pooling colors that are all in clumps together. It's sort of spread out pretty evenly around the piece. So that's what I wanted to maintain. Um, and that's, that's what I did. So you can think through how the colors are going to act. You can do a swatch to see how long is this color repeat? How many stitches do I get from one color before it turns into another color? Um, and kind of try to try to envisage that, try to come up with, okay, if I'm changing my stitch count at a certain point, what do I need to do at that point to make sure that I'm not getting um, a, a sudden shift in how the colors are showing up on my piece? And this is going to work identically in knitting as to crochet. Um, you are, depending on what stitch you're using, so if you're doing a garter stitch piece versus a stockinette stitch piece, your color progression is going to change because those use different amounts of yarn to do the stitches. If you're doing a single crochet piece versus a double crochet piece, that color progression is going to change. So you can swatch to figure out how many stitches you're going to have with one color, um, but the swatch is going to be very much dependent on you using the same stitch to swatch as you're going to make your piece in. And then just kind of thinking through that. So I hope you found this useful. Um, it all, it makes sense in my brain, especially as I'm staring at the piece right now. Um, I hope I was able to translate that um, enough to make it make some sense to you. The basic takeaway is if you're going to change your stitch count, be aware that your colors are going to do interesting and unexpected things. Um, make sure that you are going to like those interesting and unexpected things 
or choose a yarn that's not variegated in that way. Um, shorter variegated sections, if you have just like one inch of a color before you move into another inch, um, or if you have uneven color, like numbers, uh, uh, numbers of inches of color. So if you had three inches of white and one inch of blue and one inch of purple and four inches of white and three inches of blue, if they were all uneven, that's going to be less likely to create color pooling than longer segments um, that are evenly spaced. Those are going to be more likely to color pool. Um, speaking of pooling, can you pool flavors, Dave, as you take us into the kitchen? <laughs> he told me to do a segue, and I could not come up with a segue of color pulling into the kitchen. So I tried. Take it away. Okay, that was the best segue we've ever had in this podcast. Um, so I wanted to talk this week a little bit about kind of how we left it last week of us trying to kind of cut down our meat and dairy consumption. Um, and kind of what I've done this week to make that happen. Um, and I want to talk through kind of a little couple of little tricks we've done. So the great thing about uh, our family is our wonderful daughter is allergic to eggs and a lot of nuts, um, which can make cutting down uh, your meat consumption a little bit more challenging than it is for a lot of people, simply because a lot of the protein sources that are available uh, are a little bit more challenging for us to include in our diet. So I wanted to kind of talk about how we've uh, tried a couple of things this week to make sure that the rumbling you're hearing in the background of our podcast is the buildings across the street being demolished and not my stomach. Um, so the first thing is um, how do we do protein rich snacks? The kids love um, like little baby sausages and salami and stuff like that. Um, and we don't want to cut that out completely, but kind of how do we get some to keep having protein um, and their kids, they love sweet things. So I kind of went and made some kitchen alchemy um, to make our own protein bars. And Erica, can you give me an honest review on the protein um, bars? They're amazing. The children are not getting them because they will not appreciate <laughs> the amazingness of these. So we're lucky that Poppy is not allergic to kind of all nuts and all nut-like things. Um, so we eat quite a lot of almonds. Um, now almonds and hazelnuts she's fine with so we can eat almond things and nutella um which yeah there's some problems with almonds too especially with um water consumption um in kind of the southern california region where a lot of them are produced um, but we'll not try to think about that too much uh, we do also get a lot of our um produce and things like that from um kind of those those food waste places where we get it from places we try and buy things like nuts and stuff like that um, when they're on clearance um, keeps the price down but also it's it's going to go to waste otherwise so that makes that a little bit better um, for us it's, you don't have to think that hard about it but we do because we're weird um, so I had some almond flour um, on hand in the kitchen I had some sliced almonds and we also had some almond butter because Poppy for a while wanted to try peanut butter um, when everyone was eating it, but she couldn't have it. So we tried out some almond butter. She didn't really like it very much, so we kept it on hand anyway. Um, so that's my protein source. That's something that Poppy can eat. Um, and then we wanted to add uh, some sweetness in and some things to stick together. Um, so we like making our own marshmallows because it's fun. So we always have a little bit of the light corn syrup on hand. It's not very sweet, but it's kind of sticky. So that's helpful. 
Um, and then I added in um, some dried cranberries and some chocolate chips, which are two of the kids' favorite things, um, as well as a little bit of brown sugar. So those were pretty quick and easy to make. Um, lots and lots of oats as a base. Um, oats are good because not only do they provide some starch um, uh, to that, but oats are quite high in protein as a grain, so they help fill you up too. Um, they've also got lots of um, kind of vitamins and minerals in them, which are good for you as well. Um, so it actually makes a surprisingly healthy snack. So the kids help with this one. Um, they help me mix all the dry This is not something that's going to affect all that many listeners, but it might. Um, and it was certainly something that uh, was a surprise to me. As a lactating woman, oatmeal is often cited as a galactagogue, which means something that increases milk production. Um, and it's certainly not true for everyone. But um, if you are similarly lactating and it happens to work for you, you may suddenly discover that you produce much, much more milk than you were anticipating, um, which can lead to soggy shirts if you were unaware. That's the voice of experience. We had to stop Eating Erica oatmeal cookies. Yeah, <laughs> they, and this is not a thing that we're like. It's almost not. It's there's not a there's not a lot of research that goes into um, uh, to lactation in women, which is a whole other thing. Um, but it's something that's not even necessarily supported by tons of scientific evidence that these things are super effective. But anecdotally, um, there's all kinds of recipes for like lactation cookies and stuff like that. Um, and they did make a very large uh, impact on my on my milk production um and i am still nursing rowan is 22 months old um so not all that much any longer um but i do actively notice a difference when i eat things that have a lot of oatmeal in them also b vitamins in there and some iron as well um so the kids help with this one they absolutely love helping me in the kitchen um so they're very good at being putters that's uh, that's what poppy calls it so i got them to um it adds an extra step in the cooking but put the dry ingredients in plastic bowls for them to then put in the bowl that i'm going to mix them in um so they get half each of each ingredient and they tip it into the bigger bowl um so they help with this uh, all i did with this was basically mix all my dry ingredients um in a, a pan um the best way actually is i i took the pan that i was going to make the bars in because i never use a recipe for anything um mix all the dry ingredients in the pan that i was going to make it in then poured that into a saucepan added the wet ingredients which is a couple of tablespoons of the almond butter um and some of the um corn syrup and i added a little bit of sugar in as well um heated it up basically until everything kind of sticks together in the um the uh, everything else is kind of liquidized a bit and then just poured that out into um, the mold pass it down and put it in the fridge and I made those in about 20 minutes with the kids help and they've been delicious so that's been a useful thing to kind of add into our diet um, a lot of the um, the kind of protein sources that you'll be using kind of transitioning your, your diet over makes it it makes it a little bit more difficult to stay full until the next meal, especially with the kids. Um, so having those kind of on hand and things like that for them to eat in between is pretty good. Um, the other thing I tried is um, making a completely vegan chili. Um, I think that's pretty successful. What was your it was good. take on it? Um, I promptly put sour cream and cheese on it, so it wasn't vegan. <laughs> 
yeah, we we didn't. Yeah, <laughs> we all ate at sour cream and cheese. Like, um, but completely cutting Decreased out. Decreased meat and dairy, not eliminated. Yeah. Um, so um, with this, we we normally eat our chili with only just a little bit of meat in it to help add some flavour. You want that kind of umami, kind of savoury flavour that you get from meat um, in a chili. That's um, often with with vegetarian chilies in the past, I've found that kind of lacking. So I wanted to kind of keep the, try and keep the kind of texture and the savouriness the same. Um, so I did a little bit of playing with this um, and used some tricks. So we used black beans as the base and black beans out of all the beans, um, the kind of easily available have kind of almost a sort of a meaty flavor to them. And that's often why they're used for like black bean burgers and things like that, um, to give you a similar kind of depth of savory kind of flavor to them. Um, so we use those as my base. The other thing you could do is add a lot more kind of aromatics, um, just to kind of give a lot more depth of flavor. So I made sure to put more onion um, and garlic um, and really uh, sweat those for a little bit longer until they started to have a lot more kind of browning to them than I normally would when I was building up my chili base. Then I kind of played around with the spices. So I did use um, a vegetable stock. I always like to use a stock um, in my chili. Even if I'm not adding extra water, what I tend to do is add um, those into the tomato sauce base. Um, add a little bit more stock than usual. I often, before when I'd make chili, would add a bit of bacon to get a little bit of smokiness and that adds some salt as well. So kind of counteracting that salt with some more stock, uh, which tends to have a bit more of a kind of depth of flavor to it. So we're adding more aromatic kind of vegetables, we're adding more um, aromatic spices. I added um, a lot more uh, paprika and smoked paprika than I normally would um, because that has a lot of depth of flavor to it. I also wanted to give something that would have that kind of slightly, almost like kind of toasty, um, kind of caramelized flavor that you get from um, the meat when you cook it. Um, so I actually used a little bit of coffee that we had on hand um, to add a little bit more uh, depth to it as well. Like um, coffee grounds, brewed coffee? Brewed coffee. Okay. Um, a little bit of brewed coffee to it. Is this um, just because we had some left in the pot from the morning? We had some left in the pot, but I was kind of looking what to do. You can, there are things that you can add. So coffee is something you often put, would put in chili. See a lot of recipes with that and for barbecue sauces as well. Um, but uh, people might sometimes add like brown sugar or that molasses kind of flavor um, or um, like cocoa, something that has a slight kind of bitterness to it um, to give it a bit more depth. So I decided to go with some coffee because we had it on hand. Um, and then I wanted to give this chili a bit more um, kind of bite to it. A vegetarian chili sometimes can be a little bit kind of thin. Um, so I used the trick of using a can of uh, refried beans. And for those paying attention, these were fat-free uh, vegan refried beans rather than ones with lard in. Um, uh, so there really was truly no meat in there. Um, and those kind of break down um, and add kind of some thickness um, and more kind of bite to the chili. Um, if you tend to just cook the beans for too long, then it can end up kind of soft and sloppy. So I was pretty pleased with that. It's a, a couple of tricks in there to try and... Um, and then you threw in some fresh, so you used tomato sauce. I used tomato but sauce. Then you used some chopped like fresh tomatoes too. Yes, um, so we had some from our veg box um, on hand. So we're I starting to get some from the from the garden. 
yep, we got, I used a couple of home ones and a couple of veg box ones um, and kind of added some chunks in just to give it some texture as well. And I also had some homemade salsa that I'd made. Um, so I added some of that in and that had kind of smaller chunks in as well. So we want to add some texture back in. Um, meat adds a lot of texture to a lot of dishes, um, which is something when you kind of take that away, um, even though you can get flavors that are close, you, you miss the texture of someone who has um, always eaten meat. Um, so I played with that a little bit and added some kind of chunkier things in than I normally would to my chili to make it a bit more kind of texturally pleasant so it wasn't just a sauce. Did you notice the, the missing um, turkey or beef? No, uh-uh. I, I mean, I've eaten vegetarian chili a lot. That's something that if we have a group round to our house, uh, chili is a favorite thing to make just because it doesn't it's a good entertaining food um, as you don't have to do anything to it. It can be made up ahead of time. And so we often have vegetarian. I mean, we have a lot of friends who are vegetarian or vegan. So we we often have a pot of, of vegetarian or vegan chili. This is not the, this is not my first rodeo. I know, but did you... If, I'm also not that observant, so <laughs> I'm not 100% sure that I would have noticed that it didn't have me in it. <laughs> well, I was pleased. Okay. I, it tasted good. I enjoyed it. So I hope that gives you kind of a little bit of an insight into uh, what we're trying to do. I'm, I'm not going to do this every week, but I wanted to give you kind of an update of of how we're going. Um, and my mom served us a, an interesting meat-free, traditionally meaty dish um, yesterday that I loved. Dave was less sure about it. It was a textural thing more than anything. Um, it just didn't have the right texture. It was a jackfruit barbecue slider. So a jackfruit is a... I think it is a... South Asian fruit, yeah. I believe. Um, they're giant. They're like 40-pound green spiky things. Um, but we bought her a can of it when we were at the international market. Um, and uh, so you truly, like, you drain the liquid, you shred it with a fork, like pulled pork, and you dump some barbecue sauce on it, um, and you heat it up. And then it's, like, it, you can treat it like a barbecue. Or, like, yeah, like a barbecued pulled pork. Um, so she put on Hawaiian buns, and it had a very... Um, like a pineapple-y undertone and she used really nice like smoky uh, slightly spicy barbecue sauce um, and to me I knew it wasn't me I like she didn't say that she was making these jackfruit things she just we just had barbecue sliders um, and I, I knew it that I wasn't eating meat um, but it was a very pleasant thing to eat I enjoyed it um, I thought it tasted it tasted great the texture was a little bit strange to me so I think I'd want to I think if we make it again, we'll play with that. She actually sent us home with the leftovers to try some things out with. So I'm going to try putting it on like a barbecue kind of pizza flatbread um, because you're not relying on the texture so much there and see what it comes out as. Yep. So I was a fan of Stay that. Stay tuned. And the last thing is where is the yarn truck going to be this week? We wow. are going to be all over, um, so for the next couple of weeks. Um, we are in the middle of the um, Roving Indiana scavenger hunt right now, so um, you can come to us and get a scavenger hunt card, which you collect um, stamps at each um, stop on the scavenger hunt that you go to, and we'll all give you a little something, um, and then you can win a $25 gift card um, uh, by prize draw for each of the places that you've kind of collected uh, things from that you had into their last place and they'll do a gift card draw. Um, so 
Today, Monday the 22nd, we will be at Eastside Market Space um, in Irvington. Um, that's an evening, I believe it's four till seven, somewhere around there. Um, for um, It's basically a, um, a fun farmer's market kind of thing. Um, Thursday the 25th, we're going to be at Bloomington Stitchery again um, from six till nine. That's always a good time. And they run a, a monthly uh, kind of crafting evening on the Thursday there. So it'll be our first time there for their Thursday monthly craft along um, uh, space. We have been there on a Friday for their knitting night. Um, so I'm excited to see the crowd they've got. Um, then Saturday the 27th, we'll be in Lafayette for the Carnahan Hall Vintage Fest. Uh, that's an all day. Um, they have vintage vendors, they have um, home decor vendors, craft vendors, things like that. Um, there's lots of things going on in Lafayette that day. I know there's a big car show and there's a Sunflower Festival as well. So there's a lot of things going on that day in Lafayette. So that's the place to be. Um, Tuesday the 30th, we will be in the afternoon at Avon Farmer's Market. Um, and that's a fun one right on US 36. So you'll be able to see the truck there. Um, and then into August, Saturday the 3rd, we will be at ReCraft, um, and we'll be doing pop-up classes in Fountain all Square, day. Indianapolis. Yep. Um, and that is Gen Con weekend as well, so if you're from far away and coming to Gen Con, come see us at the Antrock Saturday the 3rd. And Dave um, will be teaching uh, two classes, a cotton fabric dyeing class and a wool yarn dyeing class, and I will be teaching an arm knitting class. And all of those uh, will be using materials sourced from ReCraft, um, and the dyes um, will also be sourced from ReCraft or uh, kind of waste uh, additional dyes from my studio. So there will be a completely um, kind of waste-saving um, classes that day, which should be really fun. And they are going to be fee-free, so they are going to be free classes. Um, donations to her food bank fund uh, are appreciated. So she collects uh, food and puts it out, a kind of like little free library style in front of her um, in front of her shop uh, to help provide food for people that need it. Um, and she, uh, her, like her tip jar goes to, to fund that. And she does post anytime she, um, she takes the money and goes shopping to, to show exactly what her, uh, what her donations go to fund. Um, and so if you want to bring $5 to put in that jar, we would appreciate it. Or 10 or 20, it's a really good course. So load it up. Um, then Monday the 5th, we will be doing our regular Terra Hope Day. Um, so Erica will be at M Moggers. And what's the time there? It is going to be from 4 until 7. Um, Wednesday the 7th, we'll be doing our regular Green Castle Day. Um, Erica will be at Myers Market. Um, from and 3 then, until 5 at Myers Market. Vassa Brewing. From 5.30 until 8. And then Saturday the 10th, we will be at Montrose Farm Alpaca Ranch um, up in uh, Brownsburg. So I need to check the time on that one, but we will be running uh, our pop-up and then a, a little dye class as well uh, for dyeing some of the alpaca farm. We're dyeing the alpaca farmer. <laughs> Don't dye the alpaca farmer. Dye the alpaca yarn. Dyeing some of the alpaca fiber. And that's it for this week. Enjoy your week. Happy crafting. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Ravelry, and our website, knowmyjarshop.com. And remember, in crafting and in life, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.